Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. During my eight years as a United States Navy submariner, I experienced an unforgettable incident. On one occasion, I found myself succumbing to exhaustion and dozed off aboard the submarine, which was a rare luxury given the demanding nature of our work. Little did I know that this moment of slumber would lead me into a realm of dreams that I would later refer to as the dream fish. In my sleep-deprived state, I dreamt of an extraordinary creature that seemed to attach itself to our submarine when we ventured into the depths of the ocean. This dream fish possessed an uncanny ability to manipulate our thoughts and influence our dreams using some form of telepathy or brainwave manipulation. In the dream, I was acutely aware that my thoughts and dreams were being influenced by this enigmatic entity, even though I understood it was not real. The communication with the dream fish occurred through emotional suggestions rather than words, creating a surreal and bewildering experience. 
It was by far the craziest and most peculiar dream I had ever encountered. Although I firmly believe that the dream fish is merely a creation of my subconscious mind, I must admit that subsequent dreams featuring this elusive creature occurred only when we were below a certain depth. Upon waking, I would instinctively determine the submarine's depth during the period of my slumber, something I hadn't bothered to check or know prior to falling asleep. Does the dream fish truly exist? Logically speaking, it is highly unlikely. However, the allure of its existence lingers in my mind. Perhaps if you find yourself falling asleep beneath the embrace of the ocean waves, you too might encounter this enigmatic dream fish. Only then will you truly know if it is more than just a figment of the imagination. My and my friends are into hardcore survival. We got to remote areas of the United Kingdom and try to stay for a week. No food, water, or technology. But all is kept in our car, close by, in case of emergency. Anyways, we were in the middle of a forest we frequent because we know it well, and in the winter months, food is harder to find. The sun had been down for a few hours, and the six of us were sitting around the fire, just having general conversations when I heard the worst piercing scream I've ever heard in my life. It sounded like a young adult, teenager girl. It was definitely human, and for a solid ten seconds, there was just repeated screaming followed by silence. I've been out in the wilds to know what foxes sound like and other animals like, and this was nothing like that. Me and some of my friends went to investigate and followed the direction of the scream while two of my friends stayed in camp. We looked for a solid two hours and couldn't find a thing, and headed back to camp. They didn't hear or see anything interesting either. We chalked it up to some animal or something, and we all tried to sleep. Obviously, because of that experience, the good old primal senses went into overdrive, and I could hear twigs snapping all around the outside of my shelter but blamed exactly that and went to sleep after rationalizing to myself about the weird goings-on. I was then woken up by one of my mates tapping me and saying he heard muffled whispering and looked genuinely panicked. To put it into context for you, I've known this guy for seven years and I've never seen him spooked like this, even when we go to weird spooky places like the Screaming Forest Great Place. I listened for this whispering and didn't hear anything, but I felt uncomfortable enough to wake the rest of the group up, and we went home early. To this day, I have no idea if it was just another group of people messing with us, or if it was just him hearing things or what. I find it odd that in all our times going there, we've never encountered anybody before. Nobody in our group has any idea what it really was, but we have fun pondering the possibilities. We've never gone back to that place because of that experience, though. I was one of the naval officers fortunate enough to serve near Key West, where our days were filled with maritime duties and the constant vigilance that comes with protecting our nation's waters. It was a day like any other, with the sun casting its golden rays upon the endless expanse of ocean before us. 
as our motor launched smoothly cut through the gentle waves, our attention was abruptly captured by a sight that defied all reason. Suspended above the water, gleaming in the sunlight, was a cigar-shaped object unlike anything we had ever encountered. It hovered there, a silent enigma against the backdrop of the vast blue horizon. The bewilderment that gripped our hearts was soon interrupted by the arrival of a fighter plane, seemingly materializing out of thin air. With a swift maneuver, it darted toward the unidentified object, causing it to retreat into the heavens, vanishing in mere seconds. The abrupt departure left us stunned, our minds racing to comprehend the inexplicable events that had just unfolded before our eyes. Our motor launch eventually returned to the safety of the dock, the weight of our encounter weighing heavily upon our minds. To our astonishment, as soon as we disembarked, we found ourselves surrounded by a group of men clad in dark suits. Their presence exuded an air of authority, their steely gazes leaving little room for doubt. They swiftly took control of the situation, subjecting us to an interrogation that felt more like an attempt to discredit us than to seek the truth. Hours passed filled with probing questions and skeptical glances as if our accounts were nothing more than figments of an overactive imagination. The men in dark suits seemed determined to cast doubt upon our credibility, painting our remarkable experience as a fabrication or a misinterpretation of natural phenomena. The weight of their skepticism grew heavier with each passing moment, their relentless pursuit of discrediting our claims becoming more apparent. We were left to wonder, why were they so eager to silence our voices? What was it about our encounter that threatened their carefully constructed narratives? The truth remained tantalizingly out of reach, hidden behind a veil of secrecy and doubt. Though we were released from their clutches, their questioning left an indelible mark upon our memories. We were left with more questions than answers, forever haunted by the enigma that had unfolded over the waters near Key West. In the years that followed, we shared our story with those willing to listen, knowing that the truth deserved to be heard. We refused to let our voices be silenced, determined to shed light on the extraordinary events that unfolded before our eyes. To this day, the memory of that hovering object in the subsequent interrogation lingers within us, a testament to the profound mysteries that lie just beyond the veil of what we consider to be reality. And though our credibility may have been questioned, our conviction remains unyielding, reminding us that some truths are meant to be known, regardless of the attempts to suppress them. Once while I was trekking with my family up a mountain in India, there was no trail or anything. We were just climbing. Once we reached the top, we saw this little hidden, almost stage, like area with a tree, a pool, and steps. Not that creepy, right? Except the entire tree was covered in old clothes. The pool was too, and also with toys and footwear. Not new clothes, but quite visibly worn ones. It looked like it had all happened in a hurry, but there were close to 200, 250 clothing items there. It was so scary, we hightailed it out of there. When we returned to the hotel, we asked the staff about it. The manager said that the locals believe the fort on the other side of the hill to be haunted, and that there are various witchcraft cults in the area. He said never to go in the hills at night. 
This was the creepiest experience ever. A few years ago, I found myself sitting on the edge of a cornfield, shotgun in hand, early deer season. I wasn't there long before a group of doves walked right up to me. Since I was just there for meat and not picky, I picked one out, set my sights on her shoulder, and pulled the trigger. It was a solid hit, and she fell as fast as she ran. Only made it a dozen yards or so before collapsing in a twisted heap. Now, the other four or five does that were with her ran in the same direction and stopped where she fell. They all just stood there, standing around her, looking down at her for a minute and trying to make sense of it. Then the danger they were in dawned on them and they all took off. I got up and walked over to the deer and sat down and stroked her fur. I had this kind of overwhelming feeling that I had shattered some sort of primordial ancient balance. I wasn't part of it all. I wasn't some predator stalking prey to survive. I was some guy who had come out to the woods to impose his will and for no other reason that I just preferred the taste of meat. I wasn't starving. I felt like a bully. I had taken a gun and violently punched a hole in an animal clearly capable of thought and sentience. Just because I felt like it, I sobbed as I got the deer and dragged her back to the truck. I took her home and she fed my family for a while. We made candles and soap from the fat and I donated the hide, but after that I was done. I realized then that even just going to the grocery store to buy a pound of burger was basically just the same, or even worse, since those animals never had a chance to live freely. So I decided that in good conscience I could no longer eat meat if I wasn't starving. I can easily sustain my life without it, and so I think I should do that. Suen Air Base, 1989. There was an old ghost story about some security police, Air Force MPs, or some Republic of Korea Air Force MPs that were on duty near the end of runway, when they freaked out because B-17s were landing at the base. Now, at the time, we'd all heard the ghost stories of the B-17s at RAF. Lakenheath, was it? I don't remember. All I remember was the story. Well, at the time, in order to complete a loop around the perimeter road, you had to cross the active runway, and there were ROKA, FSPs, that guarded it so that no traffic would cross without clearance from the tower. My friend and I would walk this road at night sometimes just for something to do, get a little exercise, whatever. One night on one of such walks, we got this fog rolling in, unlike any other fog I've ever seen, like visibility was about five feet. Usually it was somewhere around 50 feet, but they would make us walk the trucks home, lower-ranking airmen walking the white line with a flashlight usually a Lackland laser, in front of the truck so the driver knew not to run off the road, drive into the other lane, or run over said airman. But I digress. The fog's bad, and dead silence ensued. We had walked around to the entry control point where the ROCAF guys were stationed, and we shined our flashlights and presented our flight line clearance badges, line badges to us. But we didn't expect them to let us pass, because we would be walking on the active runway for a few hundred yards. And besides, they never let us before, but we always tried anyway. 
right in the middle of our plea to cross. We all heard planes, prop jobs, big ones. Not turboprops like the sound of a C-123 or C-130, but very distinct radio engines, and lots of them. Being that Air Force bases host a lot of air shows, you tend to be able to pick out certain engine types, and these were definitely not turboprops. I've only heard these engines on the old girls flying at air shows. Nothing should have been airborne in fog that thick. Even the mosquitoes were grounded that night. The two Korean SPs just looked at us, looked at each other, and then noped the F out, left their shack, got into their truck, and drove off, leaving us standing there. We never saw anything, but we heard several large aircraft fly over the base in an approach pattern, but nothing ever touched down. Since we had not been told we couldn't cross, we went ahead and crossed the road in the active runway, shortening our walk to about a half mile back to the barracks. My friend and I never spoke about it. These events have never kept me from going back into the woods, the Keweenaw Peninsula in Michigan. Myself and a friend have a decently remote camping spot not far from Lake Superior. We've been going up there for 12 years, usually twice a year, once in the spring and once in the fall. On two such trips, both in the fall, our campsite has been stalked by wolves. They come within 30 yards of camp, always at night. You never hear them howl, you can just hear them walking through the brush. We've caught glimpses of them using those high-lumen battery-powered LEDs. They do not run when yelled at, which is scary as shit. It's kind of freaky sitting by a small campfire and have wolves come check you out. We never shoot at them, but two shots from a forty-four mag and they never come back. We've also had bears wander into camp while we are sleeping. Loud, clumsy Fs. Not nearly as eerie or frightening. Yelling at them does the trick and they take off. I walked into a pot-growing operation outside Santa Cruz, California. Took a minute to figure out why there was black tubing running everywhere. Got the F out of there in a hurry. Also had a close encounter with a bear in Colorado. I was visiting and not used to the elevation. If I had had to run, I would have been the easiest meal that bear ever had. I also stumbled into an abandoned homeless camp in a pretty suburban part of Virginia except that his wasn't abandoned after all. Saw seven or eight guys standing back in the woods staring at me. Backed up the way I came in. None of them ever moved. No one said a word. Weird thing is that they were all dressed exactly alike. Brown jackets, green pants. Now for the final story. There's one encounter that really stands out, though. I was day-hiking the ridges above Wright, New Mexico. I'd been out quite a while when I came across a well-picked-over deer carcass. There weren't any fresh tracks around it, but that's a real clear indication that I'm on some large predator's home turf. Time to go, as I'm climbing down off the ridge. Not the way I came up. I see a flat area with an odd round stone formation. Think Stonehenge, but the rocks aren't squared off. Each of rocks are all taller than I am and formed a darn near-perfect circle. I'm a little creeped out, but I step in for a closer look. 
The second I crossed through the rocks, it was like an electric shock. The immediate goosebumps. The hair on my neck is standing up, and every nerve in my body is screaming at me to be somewhere else right now. I scrambled down the rest of that ridgeway out of control. I was lucky not to hurt myself, because at some points I was just jumping without looking where I was going to put my feet. I did not look back once. Twenty years on, I still cannot explain my reaction. I'm not given to extreme flights of fancy. I'm not afraid of things that go bump in the night. I'm not a religious person, and I don't believe in evil with a capital. A, but I did that day. Something horrific happened there once, and it will happen again. This occurred around 1999-2000. My best friend and I were avid outdoor adventurers and amateur pot growers. We would frequently find secluded places in the woods that allowed for ample light and shade for plants to grow, and that would not allow them to be easily found. One particular day, we went to an annex of trails located near a NJ State Park trail system. The trails weren't in the park, but I had hiked them before and knew they weren't that frequented. We had gone out that day with our seeds partially sprouted in moist paper towels. We parked the car at the trailhead and started hiking in. We covered a mile or so and then ventured off the trail and into the woods. We found the clearing, planted the seeds, and tied a few barely visible ribbons off to mark the way to the plant spot to check them in the future. My friend and I got back on the trail and started walking back to the car. When my friend noticed a man in the other direction just staring at us, he was probably in his thirties or forties, bald head, normal clothes. We didn't think anything of it for the most part, but we definitely kept looking back as anyone would when someone is behind them in the woods. We saw that he was walking sixty plus or so feet behind us. It seemed weird, but it was probably more so due to us having anxiety that we planted seeds. We picked up the pace, but the man also seemed to pick up the pace as we weren't gaining any distance. At one point, we decided to just get off the trail and let him pass. We turned off the trail and walked into a thicket of sticker bushes, which I remember vividly getting shredded on. We got deeper into the woods and heard cursing. When we turned around, the man was coming through where we entered. It was at that moment we actually became scared. Mind you were two young, strong 19-year-olds, but a man following you into the woods is damn creepy. We made kind of a U-maneuver to outflank him and came out of the woods a bit further down trail. Once on the trail, we ran. As we were running, there was a fork in the trail, and my friend went right, and I left. I realized my mistake, as my buddy was going down the correct path and I wasn't, so I turned around and started running back towards the fork to follow my friend. As I was running towards the direction we came from to get to the fork, I could see the man running towards me down the trail. He was a distance away, but not far enough in my eyes. Survival mode kicked in and I ran as hard as I could. I caught up to my friend who was waking at that point. I screamed he's after us and we both booked it to all the way to the car. We got in the car shaking and out of breath. We backed up and started to get out of the parking lot when the man appeared at the trailhead. He stopped there and just stared at us as we drove away. I always wonder what that was all about. Did he want to kill a couple of 19-year-olds? 
Was he also doing something illegal in those woods and wanted us gone? My buddy and I still laugh and talk about that day 22 years ago. When I was 12, I spent an entire summer in my grandparents' village. The village is small and we all know each other, but it's quite rural and surrounded by hills and woods. At that time, my occupation was collecting herbs and all kind of insects, so I went on a little adventure with my dog. I packed water, snacks, and went into the woods. I had a great time for quite a few hours. I found so many interesting bugs and plants, but suddenly I heard some commotion. It felt strange, but being a dumb and naive kid, I thought nothing of it and kept going, but my dog, Caucasian Shepherd, started growling and barking. At first I thought that she barked at some animal, but there was nothing there. I called her a couple of times, but she just kept growling, and that's when I saw a man standing between two trees. That man wasn't from the village, and he looked so strange. He was skinny. He had something red, I assume blood, on his shirt. His eyes were opened wide, and he just stared at me. I froze in fear, couldn't move or run. I just stood there, unable to do anything, my dog still barking and growling. Everything changed when man smiled. I never felt that uneasiness ever in my life. His teeth were rotten, some of them missing. It was so scary seeing him smiling. It wasn't a ghost or a vampire, but still he looked hella creepy. I called my dog. She whined, and suddenly we were running, trying to get the hell away from that woods. And that man, when we came home, I couldn't stop shaking, and after that, I never went out there again. This was a really long time ago, but I always feel uneasy and scared when were I remember this. I'm so glad I found this subreddit because I love remembering this story. It's the weirdest thing that's ever happened to me. Also, I'm not great with words or typing things out, so sorry about that. This was in ninth grade. There was this huge state park right outside of the town I lived in. My friend and I would go down the trails every now and then. We had been walking for maybe ten minutes when we realized there was an older woman not far behind us. I only really noticed because of how out of place she looked, like she came straight out of an old folks home and was just dropped in the woods. We were joking around about how creepy she was and sped up to put some distance between us, but every time we did, we'd look back and still be able to spot her. We did that probably three times. We still thought it was funny though. We ended up running down the trail until we got to a small bridge. We hopped off the bridge into a creek and then went around a bend. We could still see the bridge from where we were. We were cracking up about the whole thing when we saw the old lady again. We had run for a good couple of minutes, like she shouldn't have caught up that fast. And it was like she knew we got off the trail because she was just standing on the bridge looking around. I think that's when we stopped thinking it was funny. As soon as she left, we took off running the other way. That was it, though. Nothing happened. I just always thought the whole thing was creepy.
Back when the little grocery store in Milford had a cafe, someone that worked up front mentioned the cemetery to me and asked if I had ever visited it. I said no, and he told me that when I had time, I should check out the interesting names and monuments grave markers. Well, a couple years passed after that gentleman mentioned the Milford Cemetery, and I happened to be in that area, so I decided to stop. Not long before arriving, I filled my gas tank up on my truck. When I arrived at the cemetery, I found a spot to park where my truck wouldn't block other vehicles. While I was walking around, I was very careful and respectful. I couldn't help but feel a sort of hostility in the air. At first, I thought it was just me, but the longer I stayed, the more I felt odd and uncomfortable. I did pray while walking around. I'm not sure exactly how long I stayed, but it was at least an hour. Finally, I decided that I had seen enough and wanted to leave. When I got inside my truck and inserted the key into the ignition and turned the key to start, my fuel gauge showed that I had less than half a tank of gas. The truck was on flat level ground. I took the key out and looked under my truck to see if there was any gas leaking and I could neither smell or see any. So I got back inside the truck and started the truck. Once again, the gauge still showed less than half a tank. I went ahead and drove away. The further I got down Highway 70, 7 the higher the gauge registered. After about five miles, my gauge showed full again. That gauge has never acted up prior to or after visiting that cemetery. Of course. I've never gone back there, but don't have a reason to. I remember that day like it was yesterday. It was the early days of the United States. Invasion of Afghanistan, a time when the world held its breath in the aftermath of the Twin T attacks. Our mission was clear. Root out the Taliban, obliterate Al-Qaeda, and bring justice to those who had caused such immense suffering on American soil. I was part of an elite special forces team. A group of men handpicked for their courage, resilience, and unwavering dedication to the mission. Our journey had led us deep into the heart of Kandahar, a place as unforgiving as it was rugged. The terrain was unlike anything we had ever encountered before, a stark contrast to the familiar training grounds back in the States. We weren't alone in this hostile land. Our local Afghan allies, who had no shortage of bravery, stood with us in the face of an unrelenting enemy. We had engaged in fierce battles against the Taliban, each firefight testing our mettle and resolve. But there was one encounter during our time in Kandahar that still haunts my dreams to this day, an encounter that defied all logic and explanation. It happened one eerie night when the moon hung low in the sky, casting eerie shadows upon the barren landscape. Our team had established a temporary camp, our weary bodies yearning for some rest, before the next operation. As I lay on my cot, my senses on high alert, I heard whispers among my comrades about something unnatural lurking in the darkness. The tension in the air was palpable as we grabbed our weapons and moved cautiously through the moonlit night. It wasn't long before we saw it, a ghastly figure emerging from the inky blackness of the Afghan night. It was taller than the pickup by easily a couple of feet. Its grotesque form was like something out of a nightmare, 
Its skeletal frame was surrounded by an impenetrable darkness, a void that seemed to absorb every trace of light. Long, sinewy arms hung at its sides as if in a mocking challenge, as if it was saying, Try and hit me. We were not the type to back down from a threat, but this was unlike anything we had ever encountered. The creature was three-dimensional, with an aura of malevolence that chilled us to our very core. Its face, or what passed for one, was a haunting deer skull, devoid of any warmth or humanity. Fear gripped us, but we were trained to analyze to assess the situation. It was a futile effort. Before we could react, the creature lunged at us with a horrifying speed, its long arms outstretched like the grasp of death itself. Panic set in, and we opened fire, our weapons unleashing a storm of bullets. The night erupted into chaos as the creature hissed and shrieked, its unearthly wails sending shivers down our spines. The firefight was intense, our adrenaline-fueled hearts pounding in our chests as we fought for our lives against this abomination from the depths of darkness. In the end, the creature managed to evade us, disappearing into the treacherous Afghan mountains leaving us shaken and bewildered. We stared at each other, a mixture of disbelief and terror etched onto our faces. As we regrouped and tended to our wounded, we couldn't help but wonder what we had encountered that fateful night. Was it some supernatural entity, a product of the fear and exhaustion that gripped us in the desolate wilderness? Or had we stumbled upon a hidden facet of this ancient land, a mystery that would forever haunt our memories one thing was certain. We had entered Kandahar as soldiers, but we left as witnesses to the inexplicable. The shadows of that night would linger long after we had departed that unforgiving land, a reminder that some secrets are best left buried in the rugged terrain of Afghanistan. I was at the gas station with a few friends. We were getting gas, and I had just a weird feeling all morning. I look at my Snapchat story views, and they are 666, with six screenshots. Me and my friend immediately both notice and make eye contact, and I shut my phone off. Time passes. We're still in the same spot waiting for our friend to get out of the store, and a truck pulls in next to us. The man that got out had sunglasses on, and I just got a feeling when I saw him. About ten more minutes go by, just us sitting there, and he walks out again, but with no glasses on. He stands in front of me and smiles with his teeth, and his eyes were completely black. His bottom eyelashes were very thick and probably an inch long. I whispered to my friend, look at that man's eyes, and she saw his sad profile and turned ghost white. I got tears in my eyes and goosebumps. I was born in northern New Jersey and grew up there. When we were teenagers, my friends and I explored supposedly haunted places for fun, so we had a lot of memorable experiences up in that area. Nothing too crazy happened to us while exploring shades of Death Ghost Lake, Apart from a generally weird vibe and hearing some creepy sounds, but about 20 minutes north of there in Sussex County was a different story. Two memories immediately come to mind where I actually saw something. The first is the Lake Monster of Forest Lake. 
I was about 12 years old, swimming halfway between main beach and the floating dock when I felt something cold and very firm brush my toes. That water is tea-colored and silty, so you can't see too far down before visibility turns to zero. I was small then and kind of treading in place so I could still see my feet in the murky water. After feeling that nudge, I looked down just in time to see this absolutely massive creature gliding slowly beneath me. It was huge, and I mean huge, maybe ten, twelve feet long. In the moment, it just seemed to go on, and on as it passed beneath me. I remember it was gray and sort of dappled in color. It felt smooth and kind of slimy. I absolutely flipped out and swam to that floating dock faster than I have ever swam in my life. Everyone thought I was making it up, but I refused. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. ...to get back in the water. After about half an hour, my mother's boyfriend had to come and forcibly get me, and he swam me back to shore in a lifeguard carry. I actually never swam out in that lake again. If I went there with my family, my feet had to be touching the sand. I would not go any further out. I was ridiculed for it, but I didn't care. Folks tried to get me to admit I was just a kid and imagined it. Or maybe it was like a fallen tree somehow floating autonomously through the water. But I know what I saw and felt. It was alive and it was swimming. Years later, a local friend who I had never shared my story with told me she'd heard from her parents about there supposedly being some kind of lake monster in Forest Lake. She described it as a prehistoric fish. I don't know about that, but it was pretty validating. It's a 45-acre lake, so who knows what is in there. To this day, I hate swimming in lakes and will rarely do it because of that experience. The second is about the werewolf of Cranberry Lake. We had heard rumors over the years about there being a werewolf out in the deep woods of Alamuchi State Park, but we never saw anything until one summer night in 2008. There were five of us walking down a moonlit path in a marshy area with one dying flashlight, just messing around as teenagers do when we saw something moving down in a ditch beside the path. It was skulking low to the ground, and the clearest detail I remember is the joints didn't seem to bend the right way, like a cricket's back legs. It made a sudden guttural growl and took off. Only saw a glimpse of it through the underbrush, but it was really solid and muscular-looking, with short, tawny fur. It bolted, and we ran away in the opposite direction. At first we theorized it was an injured mountain lion. But cougars don't exist in NJ. Back then, we were sold on it being a werewolf. Werecat would make more sense. I still have no rational explanation. We were stone-cold sober, and we all saw it. Didn't get a good look at the head because it was down low. But I remember the body just being so muscular and the back legs being bent wrong. 
We were absolutely wired and stayed for hours at the local diner talking about it and telling everyone who would listen. That was a good night. While working as a park ranger, I had an experience with the supernatural. It was a scary ordeal, I must confess. A group of hikers had gotten lost in the woods, and my fellow rangers and I had decided to scout out the area. We got the general direction from the report that was made by their own families. Heading off in the direction, we drove until we got to the entrance of the woods, where they at last made contact with their families, according to the report. We parked the car just outside the woods and proceeded to search for them. We had searched for a better part of the day without anything to show for it. It was late in the evening already, and we had walked deep into the woods. I was feeling uneasy with every step we took. It was as if there was a terrifying monster hidden within the woods. A sense of terror suddenly engulfed me, making me break out in cold sweat. I glanced at my colleague, who seemed to have sensed nothing as his expression was as usual. I could not put my finger on it, but something eerie was happening in the woods. Suddenly, we began seeing strange markings, words written in an unknown language, different depictions on trees. What was strange was the fact that my colleague, for some reason, was unaware of everything. It was like he was in another dimension, detached from his surroundings. It was in that moment that it hit me, a dimension. Had he mistakenly stepped into a dimensional portal? Was that how the hikers had gotten lost? Had they stepped into it as well? If they had, that would explain the disappearance and why we were unable to find traces of them. It was, of course, a mind-blowing theory, so I wanted to test it out. I moved closer to my colleague, attempted to touch him, but my hands went right through him, like he did not exist. I could see him, but couldn't touch him. I called out his name, hoping to get his attention and alert him to the danger we were in. I called out his name several more times, even radioed him, yet he continued walking deeper into the woods like a puppet on its string, being pulled. After my futile attempts, I proceeded to search for the missing party on my own. I came across so many skeletons and bones piled up into a small mountain. At this point, the terror in my heart had reached its peak. I resisted the urge to scream. I beat a hasty retreat and stepped on numerous bones in the process. What scared me was that the bones did not let out the usual crunch sound after being stepped on. Rather, they simply crumbled into dust. I could not help but wonder how long these bones had been buried there. This took my mind to the missing hikers. Were they already bones, or were they alive like me, terrified and hopeless? I was at my wit's end already, and I could not help but feel despair. I glanced at my wristwatch to check the time, but what I saw shocked me. Time moves faster here. I had barely spent two hours in the woods, yet my wristwatch was displaying a date that was two days ahead. Two hours equal two days here. At this rate, my lifespan would run out before whatever was lurking around would kill me. At this point, all I had in my mind was how to escape this hell hole that I had somehow gotten myself into. All thoughts of searching and rescuing, the lost hikers did not cross my mind. At this point, all I could think of was how to get out of my situation. My mind was in chaos, disoriented, and I could not think straight. 
just when I thought things could not get any worse, I began hearing voices, and the feeling of being stalked overwhelmed me. I could feel something or someone watching me, and the thought of that made me panic. There was nothing scarier than the unknown, especially in a place such as this. I kept on walking, and my nerves were taut and on edge, ready to react to any situation. I moved on without a sense of direction, hoping to luckily find an exit or something. Glancing at my wristwatch, I saw to my utter dismay that I had spent close to a week now trapped in this place. While I was aware that time was moving faster, things would be different as long as I found an exit. It did nothing to comfort me. I had no idea when I would find an exit out of this dimension. By the time I had spent a couple of months, I threw a stroke of luck. I was able to find a way out. The moment I stepped out, my walkie-talkie buzzed incessantly. People had been trying to reach me, and even my colleague. I radioed my colleague, but got no reply. I knew he was still trapped in there, and there was no hope for him to get out. He was not even aware. My story caused a sensation, and I was rushed to the hospital for tests and examinations. The doctor confirmed that my cells had gone through rapid aging. My cells had grown older than they should have. I would have to be placed on a special diet to prolong my lifespan. A few weeks later, the missing hikers were found. However, all of them had lost their youthful appearance, which further boosted the authenticity of my story. Despite getting intensive medical care, all hikers died mysteriously afterwards. My colleague disappeared, and I was told to keep quiet. The entire case was shut down before the press could even get out, and no public knowledge ever became aware. I must preface this story by assuring you that every word I'm about to share is true. It was an unimaginable thing that I, Jake, a father of two girls and an occasional outdoorsman, experienced deep in the heart of a remote mountain town near Texas. This is a story of a hunting trip gone horribly wrong where my companions and I faced an unimaginable terror. It all began when a group of eleven seasoned hunters, including myself, gathered in the rustic town. The crisp autumn air carried whispers of elusive elk roaming the treacherous wilderness. Determined to conquer the challenge, we set out on an expedition to a hidden, unmarked location deep within the woods. As we trekked further into the wilderness, excitement coursed through our veins. However, our enthusiasm quickly waned as our compass inexplicably malfunctioned. The needle spun aimlessly, leaving us disoriented and vulnerable. A sense of unease settled upon us, as if unseen eyes were watching our every move. Undeterred, we pushed forward, relying on our instincts and experience. But the woods grew denser, and an eerie silence enveloped the landscape. Branches creaked underfoot, and the rustling of leaves seemed to echo with an otherworldly presence. Suddenly, chaos erupted. We scattered, separated by the onslaught of an enormous creature that emerged from the shadows. Towering and powerful, it resembled a beastly figure, akin to Bigfoot, but far more menacing in stature. Panic gripped our souls as it hunted us down, one by one, with ruthless efficiency. I fought for my life with every ounce of strength and survival instinct I possessed. In a fierce battle, I managed to best the creature 
but the victory was hollow. As its life force dissipated, it inexplicably evaporated, leaving only a pile of bones as a haunting testament to its existence. Bloodied and battered, I emerged as the sole survivor of the harrowing encounter. Determined to escape this hellish nightmare, I pressed on, searching for any sign of civilization. Exhaustion threatened to consume me as I wandered aimlessly through the dense foliage. And then, as if guided by some unseen force, I stumbled upon a surreal sight hidden within the woods, a set of stairs seemingly out of place amidst the natural surroundings. Driven by desperation, I climbed those stairs not knowing what lay ahead. To my astonishment, as I reached the top, I found myself standing in the very camp where our ill-fated journey began. It was a maddening realization, a loop in the fabric of reality itself. Time had folded in on itself, leading me back to the origin of our doomed expedition. Now burdened with the knowledge of the horrors that unfolded in those woods, I find myself haunted by questions that may never be answered. What was the true nature of that creature? How did those stairs appear in the heart of the wilderness? Is this all just a cruel twist of fate? This story serves as a warning to those who dare venture into the unknown, for there are forces lurking in the depths of the wild that defy comprehension. As for me, I carry the weight of this experience, forever marked by the inexplicable events that transpired in that remote Texas town. My brother and I decided to go on a sailing trip. We're both Marines, so we don't get to see each other often. We made camp on a small island with a decently sized patch of trees. At 2 a.m. or so, we heard a boat coming towards us. Our fire had died down, but was still visible. This was a remote area, so it felt off that someone would be coming to our campsite. We grabbed our weapons and quietly went into the tree line. Some scraggly-looking guys started rifling through our ship, then started walking toward our boat with a rope. I decided to confront him, and my brother stayed back. To alert this stranger to my presence, I pumped my shotgun and asked him what the hell he was doing in our camp. Before this guy could say anything, I heard another guy in the darkness, beyond the fire scream for me to drop my gun, or he would kill me. Before I could react, my brother opened fire on the second guy, and I shot the first guy. I retreated back to the tree line, and my brother asked if I was good. I told him I was all right. We did a perimeter sweep, gathered our shit, and destroyed, sank their boat. When we got back to shore, we contacted the state police and told them what happened. They detained us until our story could be cleared, then released us. So glad we decided to go together, or there's a good chance one of us could have been killed. Edit to clarify, both died after being shot. We sank the boat in case there were any others that hid after the initial confrontation to avoid being followed. We didn't take their boat because that would look really bad if we got. Stopped on our way back. My brother and I were detained until our story could be verified. Once the evidence was gathered and processed, we were released. We found out the men had been convicted of assault and burglary multiple times. We were never charged with anything, but sought legal counsel in case it did happen. To those messaging me saying I'm a coward or murderer, put yourself in the situation we were in. A stranger comes to our camp, starts stealing. 
and when confronted, his accomplice threatened to kill me and leveled a weapon at me. I shot because I didn't know how many others my brother might be dealing with and I wasn't going to turn my back to someone who clearly meant harm. In the context of the situation, it was threat non-threat. So you probably won't believe my story, but here it goes. I was working in a ranger station at a small California state park looking after the forest. It was late September, meaning the amount of hikers they were dwindling. And it wasn't like the summer where it's a great season for hiking. Yeah, the fall is great because the weather is very nice and mild, and we saw quite a few people through the summer months. But fall is when it definitely dwindles. As I said, I was doing what I needed to do, hiking around and patrolling the trails and doing regular ranger stuff, checking on things and making sure stuff was safe. I stopped to eat some lunch in an open field near one part of the park where there were no trees or big rocks, so a larger clearing. I sat down and was beginning to eat my favorite, a tuna sandwich, and I literally froze with a bite still in my mouth, stopping chewing when I see these two dark pits, which were eyes moving between tree to tree to my right. I just happened to look over in that direction and see something very large watching me. Then I hear branches and twigs snapping, confirming that what I was seeing was really there. Something very large and heavy moving, and trying to evade any sort of sighting by me. Then I could hear deep breaths, almost like a panting or a heavy wheezing noise. After wanting no part to play in whatever this thing was, I got up, put my sandwich in its bag and my pail, and walked back off the trail. However, it had an interest in me. It was following me and was now moving briskly through the trees. I picked up my pace, and that's when everything around me fell quiet. Now it was beginning to feel very uncomfortable, like something could happen. I believe this thing followed me for a couple of miles before finally stopping, as the noises around me returned. To this day, I have no way to account for what it was that I saw, and I don't want to think about it. I will be telling you what I saw and heard while on duty in the evening of Thursday, July 15, 2004. I was dispatched to an area where there had been reports of a lot of screaming. Once arriving at the scene, I met with two other officers who we will refer to as a A and B. We proceeded into a wooded area that led out onto a street near a housing development. It was from that same location that we had heard these crazy, yelling screams coming from behind us in the woods, just off the side of the street. They were very loud, very high-pitched. There were some lower pitches mixed in there as well. I have never heard anything like this before since being on duty here in Plymouth County. Since my partner and I were the only ones who actually heard this, we talked about it. Both of us think that we'd heard some type of Bigfoot-like creature. While not necessarily believers, we like to say we keep our options open. We had Officer C with us as well, but he never heard the screams or anything else. One other thing I'd like to add is that there were no residences on the street at the time. Nothing back off the road. When we first came out into the woods, there were no vehicles either. This whole area has been developed since then, though there are a few houses now back off the street. 
We first came out on the noise we heard down in those woods could be best described as a long scream or yell mixed with a howl and growl. It sent chills down my spine that night. Even as a trained law enforcement official, I never saw anything like this before, and I have not seen or heard it since either. I do hope that one day I will see something like that again. I know there are certain things out there we cannot explain, and that's what makes it all the more intriguing. It should also be included that Officer had a previous sighting of the same type of size of creature back in the early 90s. Might have been 91 or 92. I actually spoke with him about it. He described to me what he saw. It was very similar to the way I would describe our screams that evening. The most striking thing was that he just stated that it stood there staring at him for almost 10 minutes or so. He said it felt like it, but was probably only 30 seconds. Again, all this took place out in Plymouth County. In college, I spent one month house sitting a large hunting estate in the middle of nowhere, Idaho. The nearest town was 22 miles away. Woke up on the middle of the night to the sound of someone knocking loud and hard on the front door, and the dogs were going nuts. No way I was going to answer it. I just grabbed the gun and kept quiet upstairs. Next morning, there was a car in the driveway. The guy who owned the car was found dead several months later. I have no idea what happened. Edit. I feel kind of bad. I should have put some more info in there. It was late last night. Here is everything I know. It was June 1987. I know it was 87 because it was the baseball season after the Bill Buckner disaster. My girlfriend's parents owned the place. It was in southeast Idaho. I'm not going to say what town it was, 20. Two miles from because they might still own it, and I don't want this to get more weirder than it already is. It was a pretty big place with a lot of acreage. The guy who was the full-time caretaker for the place had just quit. My girlfriend's dad went out there to find a new caretaker, but the new caretaker couldn't start for one month. Her dad offered to pay me $1,200 to go out there. Free food, satellite TV, one of those huge dishes from back then in free booze. All I had to do was keep an eye on the place and feed the dogs and the horse. I had never been out west, so I took him up. It sounded better than doing landscaping. I spent the time reading and exploring, playing with the dogs, riding the horse, shooting. Completely uneventful experience until that night. That night, after the knocking stopped and dogs stopped barking, I eventually went back to sleep. I didn't freak out all that much because there were two German shepherds inside with me, and I had a gun. I kept it on the nightstand. I had been drinking a little, but not drunk by any means. There were several neighbors that were a few miles away. I was kind of thinking someone just simply drove up the wrong driveway. Next morning, at crack of dawn, I opened the front door to let the dogs out and see a white Chevy Nova sitting in the driveway. It was near the small cabin for the caretaker. The cabin was about 100 yards from the main house. I called my girlfriend's dad and asked him if he knew anyone with that maker-model car and told him about what had happened the night before. He didn't know anyone, and he called the police directly. Police show up, ask me a few questions, and walk around the property for about an hour or so. The car was locked. The police had it towed. 
I have no idea if it was broke down or not. There was only one set of tire tracks coming into the house. A few days later, my girlfriend's dad called me up to say the guy who owned that car was missing and to call the police if anything weird happened again. I have no idea who the guy was at all. Don't know how long he was missing or when he was reported missing or who reported him missing. He was just missing. Girlfriend's dad didn't know that much. After one month, I go back home. Girlfriend and I break up shortly thereafter. I see her out on the town several months later, and I ask her if she ever found out what happened to that guy. All she knows is the guy was found dead by S-30 miles away. The I.S. happened several months after that incident at the house, and he was found a couple of days after he had killed himself. I ask her how he did it, where it was he found, who found him, etc., and then I got nothing. I never saw her again. You all now know just as much as I know. I feel your pain. In Yellowstone, a few weeks back, I listened to your podcast covering human and animal mutilation. Super creepy, especially if humans are really being found mutilated like cattle. So, of course, I tell my hiking buddies all about the episode as the sun sets and really freaks them out. The night is nice. Stars are out. The next day, I came across a dead rodent right in the middle of the trail that looked to have all the signs of animal mutilation. Eyes are removed. There's a hole at the back of his head that appears to be black or burned. Eye sockets also have a black burned look to them. I obviously didn't check if his spine and organs were there, but there was no blood and no insects on the body. Who knows if that was just like the work of bugs and sun, but I thought the timing was so strange. I have a video of this animal. I'll upload later if I have time. But it is really strange because over thousands of miles I've seen plenty of dead animals in various states of decay. But this rodent looked perfectly preserved, except it was missing eyes, and there was just that hole at the back of his head, maybe half an inch wide, that appeared blackened and cauterized or burnt. I've never seen this before, and there's the timing of it all. Places totally have vibes to them. Some places that we walk through are straight up hair raising, and I can never figure out why. Yet I've confirmed it with other hikers. I'll usually ask you, did you feel weird back there, and they always go, yeah, I did. It just didn't feel right. One place in Utah comes to mind. It was a short day hike I did with my girlfriend in Canyonlands, NPE. Forget the name, but the trail took you up the side of an old crater. I think they theorize it was a meteor strike ages ago, but don't really know. Anyway, we got to a spot, sat down, and were immediately overcome with this incredible lethargy to the point where we both wanted to fall asleep on that rock. I'm a pretty disciplined hiker, so I stood up and said we can't dally here. Oddly, I also had this gut feeling that we shouldn't fall asleep there. And also, weirdly, my girlfriend said offhand in a joking manner to some other day, hikers coming up the trail be careful up there. There's a vortex that will suck you in and put you to sleep. She meant vortex in the hiker context of a town that'll suck you in and keep you doing unplanned zeros. But still, odd choice of language, right? 
and I'm reminded of cases of UFO and fairy abductions that start with people inexplicably falling asleep in the woods in the middle of the day. Speaking of weird places, the AT crosses through an area known as the Bennington Triangle. Going south, you'll cross over Glastonbury Mountain and then enter the town of Bennington. Apparently, there were four or five missing 411-style disappearances there in the 1940s. Google it. Really interesting stories. And the natives avoided the area because they believed devils lived on the mountain. When I walked through the day before, I had written a blog post about how the trail was teaching me to follow my gut and how following my gut always seemed to save me from storms and other things like that and just generally turn out good. Well, this day I was planning to go through a small town called Manchester Center, then climb onto Glastonbury Mountain and camp on the mountain. In Manchester Center, I eat a burrito and have the worst stomach cramps I've ever had. Tried using the bathroom to wait it out, nothing. So book a room in a motel. Literally the second I've paid and get to the room, my stomach pain goes away. This was cramped so bad that I was walking hunched over that just disappeared in the matter of seconds. But I'd already paid, so I stayed. No diarrhea or anything that day. Everything 100% normal after I changed my plans. Climbed the mountain and went into Bennington the next day. Only after I realized that I would have been on the mountain on the night of the full moon. Is that relevant? No idea. But it just struck me as very, very odd how I wrote about following my gut, and then my gut literally forced me to not climb that mountain. Oh, on the way down is where the long trail and the yad intersect, and that intersection is where a young woman disappeared in the 40s without a trace. Weird. Now that I'm thinking of weird places with bad vibes, I'm reminded of this small five-mile loop I do at home in Missouri. When I walk this, I usually always stopped about three miles in and turned around. No real reason, that's just what I always did. Went in there maybe four years ago with an ex-girlfriend, and we ate about 1.5 gug of shrooms each. The first hours of the trip were great, hanging out about a mile into the loop. Then we decided to hike more and entered the section that I unintentionally avoided. It was so strange. The only way I can describe it is that it felt like evil descended on us. I'm getting goosebumps as I write this. I felt this deep pit of despair and depression come out of nowhere, and I just knew that that year was when I was going to die. I knew that our relationship was over. We both got real quiet and didn't talk for about half an hour. Then came to this ledge, and I kept getting these horrible images of her running full speed, charging off this like 80 feet ledge. Then all of a sudden the oppressive energy lifted and we both just burst out like, did you feel that what the hell? So she also felt that incredibly negative energy and felt that we were done. Our reactions were very interesting. We both felt like we should focus more on spirituality and develop a stronger spiritual base. I kept having the thought that the greatest lie is that there is no good and evil in this world. If you believe this, then you're truly vulnerable to true evil. So after this experience, we got into hypnosis a little. She could fall into trance very easily. One session, I took her back to that day, and she absolutely freaked. She said that we were attacked by a demon who attacked those who were undecided. 
Now, I'm not religious at all, and still am not, and I think this is her Catholic upbringing coloring her experience, but I do think there was something very evil there that day in the woods. Also, it's fascinating that I just avoided that place intuitively, right? Even with these experiences and all the content I listened to regarding the paranormal and missing 411, I don't feel at all threatened or in danger in the wild. I'd say 99% of my time out there, I feel as comfortable as if I were sitting on my couch at home. We were built to be in nature, and the woods and the wild really are not a threatening place. Spend enough time out there and you truly will feel right at home. Night hiking alone is freaky at first, but like anything else you get used to it. It's very peaceful to just walk through the woods bathed in the little glow from your headlamp. It feels a lot like a voyage into another dimension. Funny enough, I ended up getting off. Trail right when I hit New Mexico. Got Guardia and ended up puking and shitting my guts out. Dropped from 178 to 162 pounds in under two weeks. It did make me wonder, though, if my gut wasn't protecting me again. Because New Mexico and the reservation lands are famous for their skinwalkers, and I did feel like I was kind of stirring up their attention by writing and talking about them throughout my trip. But none of these is even close to the greatest danger out there. I came the closest to death I ever have on trail right before I left. This was San Juan's in Colorado. We were pushing through late in the season, and we got three straight days of freezing rain. It was horrible one night. Everyone else got ahead of me, and I was pushing up a pass at 12. Five vec feet followed by a one-mile ridge. Walk at 12 vec feet. Pushed over the pass right as the sun set and freezing rain started up again combined with winds that were blowing 40-50 miles per hour. I'm so incredibly cold at this point, but there's nothing that can be done about it but to keep moving. You can't layer up beyond your rain gear because anything else will just become soaked and useless. Then my glasses start freezing in the rain and I'm getting a horrible refraction glare from my headlamp. That combined with the clouds and freezing rain enveloping the mountain, top brings my visibility down to about a foot. Then I lose the trail, so now I'm just literally on the side of the mountain, hiking on the side of some pretty steep grades. Steep enough that if I were to lose my footing, I'd slide or fall dozens, if not hundreds of feet, and possibly off a cliff, because those are certainly abundant in the San Johns. At this point, I can feel panic and bile at the back of my throat, but I know if I panic, I'm dead, so I just focus and keep moving in the direction where I think the trail is. Eventually, I see the light from headlamps up ahead, and it was my hiking buddies who were all huddled under a tarp. We never did make it to our intended campsite and instead had a sleepless night huddled under the big tarp, all trying to stay warm. I've never been so cold in my life. When we finally got to town, I realized feeling wasn't coming back into the tips of my fingers, and it took about a week before that numbness went away. Out of all the dangers in the wild nature, tops it all. 